So when I work with my people, the first thing to do is I get them to dream stupid. Go for stupid and allow themselves to fall short and have achieved 20 times further on than they could have if they'd have just gone for something that was achievable. Because let's be blunt, what do you know what's achievable? You know, you go, well, I've got a branding company. You know, I, I made a million dollars. Yeah, I want to make a million five next year. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to amplify this bollocks bullshit. Go for 10. You'll fall short and you'll hit five. So that's what I do. First thing I do is I get people to go for stupid. Welcome to the Viral by Design podcast with Dave Rothero, where we get inside the minds of today's leading viral marketers as they reveal the exact strategies they use to build brands, products, and campaigns that are magnetic to customers, spread like wildfire, and seize the attention of millions. This is Viral by Design. So welcome to another episode of Viral by Design. I'm extremely excited today to be joined by the one and only Steve Sims. He is the founder and CEO of luxury concierge service, Bluefish. Steve started out as a bricklayer and has gone on to create one of the world's most recognized concierge firms, Bluefish, an exclusive lifestyle concierge and travel service for corporate executives, celebrities, professional athletes, and other discerning individuals. Steve's helped people uh, to take people on submarines to see the remains of the Titanic to get on stage and perform a journey, uh, to attend Elton John's Oscar parties, even help somebody to get married by the Pope of the Vatican and much more. These are just a few highlights of what Steve's provided for his clients. He's also the author of, of the book, Bluefish, which uh, is the art of making things happen. He makes the impossible possible and he was christened the real life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. So Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So I've got to dig in straight away. How the hell did you go from a bricklayer to the real life wizard of Oz? Did you just <laughs> throw up tools one day and decide this is it? I'm going to start making crazy things up. Yeah. Um, you, do you know, I, my answer would have been different until you made that last statement. So I'll tell you exactly how it happened. There's a lot of us that can turn around and go, well, this changed, this changed. But there was a pinnacle moment in my life that, had it not occurred, I would not be having this conversation with you. I would not be living in LA. I would not be coaching. I would not be speaking. None of this would have happened. I was on the building site. I left school at the age of 15. Um, my dad was a bricklayer. My uncle was a bricklayer. My cousins were bricklayer. My granddad was a bricklayer. And we were on this building site one day, and I was climbing up the scaffolding with a big pile of bricks on my shoulder. When I got to the top of the scaffolding, there was my dad, my uncle, my cousins, and my granddad. There was my entire family future. My entire family tree was there. And I could see me, who was like 15, 16 years old, all the way through to my granddad in his 80s. And I went down to him during tea break time, and I said to him, granddad, and of course, like 15, 16 years old, you know, you didn't have a lot of etiquette or, or you know, diplomacy. I ran up to my granddad, and I was like, granddad, granddad, did you ever think you were going to be doing this when you were this old? And it was a very cheeky, rude question. I'm surprised I didn't get a smack in the nose. He didn't even look at me. He actually said to me, he said, son, and I remember this, point for point. Son, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. That was it. So I just thought to myself, I don't want to be a, you know, you live in England. You know what it's like. 90% of the time it's raining. You're cold. You're dealing with bricks. You're getting cut, slashed up, wet. You know, it's just, it ain't a good job. It's tough work. Um, so I came out and quit. I didn't know what I was going to do. 
I just knew that I had to try something that wasn't going to be this. Um, and I tried loads of jobs that I was uh, uh, ill-qualified and inadequate to do. Truck driving, car sales, uh, insurance salesman, stockbroker, cake delivery man. I tried so many different jobs. And I noticed something that, and this is very derogatory. So, you know, if it upsets you, then just fucking turn off. Um, poor people hang around with poor people. And I noticed I had no money. I was riding around on a, on a shitty motorcycle and I was hanging around in pubs with people that had no money and were riding around on shitty motorcycles. I realized I was one of these people. So I decided I had to change my room. I had to change the people I was hanging around with. If I wanted to get out of this, you can't get out of it by hanging around with those that are keeping you in. It's like, it's like the crab mentality. So I started, uh, you know, going to different bars and different clubs and just trying to see through my eyes how, you know, money worked, how people treated people differently when they acted a certain way. The daft thing is I couldn't break into that scene. Couldn't do it. Kept trying, couldn't do it. I ended up getting a job in Hong Kong as a trainee stockbroker. Okay, I talked my way into that. It was a greater work of fiction than any Harry Potter novel. I lied my ass off on the resume. In fact, I think my resume actually said something about I was related to the Queen of England. You know, <laughs> it was just complete and utter bollocks that I thought was so funny that the person reading it would give me a shot. You know, so it was that ridiculous. Um, they didn't read it. They just recruited like 60 brokers to go to Hong Kong. And I just got swept up in it. Anyway, I landed on the Saturday. I got drunk on the Saturday with all the trainee brokers. I was qualified to do that. I got drunk on the Sunday. Uh, went to orientation on the Monday. And I was fired on the Tuesday. So I'm now in Hong Kong. My family's not around me. My, my girlfriend's not around me. Um, they gave me uh, a couple of months uh, pay because I was now in Hong Kong. They gave me a return ticket to go home. But I thought to myself, I'm in Hong Kong now. I wanted to change my room. I've changed my country. So let's see what I can do. So again, I tried to get a job, couldn't do it. Ended up working on the on the door of a nightclub because I'm big and ugly and it just seemed to fit. Um, but funny enough, from that darkest moment, from my low point, which is what I thought being a doorman was, I got to see people. I got to see how they interacted. I got to see the rich people, how they acted, and I got to see the fake rich people, how they pretended. And because there was no internet back in the 80s and 90s, I knew where all the nightclubs were. I knew where all the parties were. So I started going up to these rich people and going, hey, what are you doing Thursday night? Because there's a private party. And they'd be like, oh, we want to go. And I'd be like, let me see if I can pull a few strings. And I would charge them a couple of hundred bucks to get them into this thing. But I noticed rich people, they want things, you know? I also noticed something about rich people, they can afford things. So I started finding out what they wanted. And most of them wanted access to private parties and clubs. They wanted to hang around with celebrities. So it started off small and I started getting people into like nightclubs and then private parties. And then I started throwing my own parties. And then I started doing product launches for like Cartier and Tiffany and Piaget, these luxury brands. And I just started growing. And I went from throwing parties in Hong Kong 
to ending up working with like the Kentucky Derby, the New York Fashion Week, and Sir Elton John's Oscar party here in Los Angeles. So it just over 25 years, I just kept pushing to see, okay, how bigger can I get? How more uh, of, a, of a group can I get? But the whole goal was never to launch a concierge or a branding company. The whole goal was to build up a Rolex of a Rolodex of successful, rich people to get in the room to quite simply ask one question. Why are you rich and I'm not? That's all I ever wanted to ask. And luckily, I ended up, um, I had 93 billionaires uh, as clients. Uh, I had royalty, uh, superstars, rock stars, athletes, business tycoons. So I was able to be in some incredible rooms. I've worked with Richard Branson, Eve Branson, his mum that sadly passed away, Elon Musk, uh, Bill Gates. I've worked with the most powerful people in the planet. And a lot of them that I won't mention, that you've never heard of that own things like countries. And I was able to sit in a room and go, hey, I've got to ask you, Jimmy, how come you're so successful? And I'm where I am. And I wanted to get that mindset. So that was the whole point of the journey. And that's when the book Bluefish and the Art of Making Things Happen kind of came out. And um, I became a very well-connected, unknown guy. And now I'm a coach, a speaker, um, and, and travel around the world, basically getting people out of their own way. Well, that's beyond incredible, man. I can, I can, I can see people on mind's eye furiously Googling or looking on Amazon for the, for the book already. Uh, that's amazing, man. So, so what did you find out then about these billionaires and country owners and, and beyond rich, the people that you don't even see in the, in the headlines, what do they do differently? If you could summarize it. Yeah. Uh, let me give you three things. All right. Let me help you out. For the first thing, they appreciate failure. And this was a real mind shift for me. You know, like when, when we lose 20 grand on a deal, we lean back, we hold our head and we go, Oh shit, just lost 20 K. Damn it, how am I going to explain that to the world? And we throw a pity party, okay? We get all kind of bent out of shape and fuck it, it went wrong and damn it, and we get all angry. Successful people, now, you can be successful without being a billionaire, okay? It's a mindset twist first. Successful people are the ones that lean in to the failure and go, well, shit, that went wrong. How? Where? Where did it go wrong? Successful people lean into their failures. Non-successful people repel and cry. Okay? I noticed that when I was around, and I was with uh, Jean-Paul de Joria, who was um, the founder of Patron, Tequila, and Paul Mitchell, and he literally just turned around to me one day, and he said, oh, look at this. There's a room full of failures. And I thought to myself, that's pretty rude. You know, there are very wealthy people in here. But then I realized they allow failure to refine them, not define them. And that was the big shift. They lean into it. Elon Musk rejoices when one of his rockets goes wrong because now he's got all of this data that teaches him what not to do. You see, you don't get success from success. If, you, if I gave you $100,000 and you shoved it on one stock in the stock market and the following day it made $200,000, you're not intelligent about stock markets. You just got lucky. But if yep. you spread it across a whole bunch of things, some of them work, some of them, now you're educated. 
Okay, so that's the thing. So successful people, they lean into failure for all of its benefits and educations rather than lean out of it. That's the first thing. Second thing, rich people, successful people value relationships. They employ people, not resumes. How many people have you ever met that have got an absolutely phenomenal resume? Dumb as shit. Okay? So they employ the person. They connect with the person. They value relationships over accolades and uh, uh, credentials. If you notice, Silicon Valley has dropped the degree status. Years ago, you needed a degree to be able to work in Silicon Valley. They realized that there were stupid MBA people. And so they got rid of all of that requirement now. They recruit people. They also recruit a subsection of that. They recruit culture. You may be really good, but if you're not a cultural fit to what they stand for, then they shouldn't employ you and they don't. So they, they employ people and they employ, they employ cultural fit. That's not authenticity. It means, you know, if, um, if they're a green company and you don't like, you don't stand for any of these green things, no matter how qualified you are for the company, you're not a cultural fit. So they employ relationships, people, and culture. And the third thing, they value time more than poor people do because they can make more money. They can make more impact. They can get more people. But what they need to do is they need to value their time. So what they do is they've learned very, very early on to delegate all of the shit they don't need to do. Okay? And they delegate it so that it gives them more time to be able to focus on what they do want to do. So they lean into failure. They focus on cultural and uh, relationships. And bottom line of it is they value their time way more than you do. It's huge, man. Really, really, you know, seismic. Uh, nuggets of advice that I mean, I for one know the massive advantage of of culture and branding and creating a brand around what you do. I've spoken about this to, to a few people lately. You know, um, we decided to create a, a brand around. See, even now, I say, I say, we even when Grip, my agency, was was just me, I decided to create a brand around it, and it's the single most powerful thing that I've done with the business. The last two people that have, that have joined the team said, in not not too too much of a paraphrase, it feels like the stars are aligning. It feels like this position was made for me. It's crazy, right? It's just like you put out into the universe like exactly who you are, what you stand for, and, and what your kind of mission is as a business. And then suddenly you just start getting people flocking to you that, that have got the same kind of mindset. Yeah, you have to look, you put it out there and you attract what you attract. Um, it, it's amazing when you're when you're miserable and depressed, who do you end up attracting? Miserable, depressed people. They say misery attracts misery. But if you've got a stance, see, this is the problem. And I, I want to I have an argument with you now because I want to help people out there. Um, I have a branding agency at Steve D. Sims and at sims.media. Um, and the first thing I teach people about branding is don't. Okay. I, I work on a reverse psychology of branding. You see, branding, you want to simplify by giving out a message of what you stand for. That's kind of a mission statement. That shows the purpose. That shows your culture. But branding is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Okay? If you've got a shoe shop and you sell cheap kid sneakers and you sell high-end designer Gucci boots and the only people that ever come to your shop are the mums that buy cheap-ass sneakers, 
when they go out and now tell their friends, do they tell them that you sell Gucci? Or do they tell people that, hey, if you need cheap sneakers for your kids, you need to go over to Barry's shoe shop, okay? A brand is being built based on the recipient's demand. So what you've got to do is you've got to focus on your message being really simple and impossible to misunderstand in order to have it translated. It's like when you get 10 people together and you tell the first person a joke. By the time it's got to the 10th person, the joke's changed, okay? So branding has to be an incredibly simplified message that is impossible to misunderstand to help the recipient spread your message. But branding is what other people say about you. Got it, 100%. So I know one big thing that you do, you do a lot of one-on-one coaching with high-level CEOs and you get them unstuck. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what if there is one commonality that you find in those high-level entrepreneurs that are getting stuck what is that that thing? What's the most common thing that people can get get rid of or move past to get out of their own way? Um, they are achieve- I work with uh, startup entrepreneurs, um, solopreneurs, Fortune 500 companies, and luxury brands. So I've got everything from uh, a, a solopreneur that owns a plumbing company uh, here in uh, California to a major makeup brand in uh, Japan. So you know it's a wide stretch of the thing one of the commonalities is they stretch for what's achievable okay i have a i have a saying uh, go for stupid okay i want you to go for a goal that is so ridiculous people laugh at you that they think you're stupid to go for it because if you notice how people they go they say i'll oh, go for the impossible okay if you deem something as impossible, you're right. The second you call it impossible, subconsciously you're going, well, if I don't achieve it, how could I? It's impossible. Okay? So I take that word impossible out and I say, go for stupid. So when you're setting your goals and you go, okay, we've had a good goal uh, increase from here. We've had good uh, ROI on our marketing. Right, now let's increase our goal Let's increase it by uh, 10, 10 or 15%. You go for what you think you can achieve. You know, I say, no, don't go for what you can achieve. Go for what you can't achieve. Go for the ridiculous. Go for the impossible. Because you know what happens when you go for something so stupid and you fall short? You're still 400% further on than when you first started. It's like saying to someone, hey, I want to make a million dollars. That's fantastic. So let's put a goal together to make 10. And they go, well, I can never make 10. Why not? Because that's ridiculous. That's stupid. That's impossible. That's so far out of there. Well, so is a million. You know? You see, the daft thing is, when you dream at night, you have no parameters. You have no sensibility. You dream of being naked, floating on a flying carpet through the streets of New York. Okay, it's your dream, you know, and you've got your favorite rock band floating behind you playing your favorite tune. It's a stupid dream. There's no parameters. But as soon as you wake up, what do you do? You go, well, I could never do that. I could I could never. The flying carpets don't exist. I could never get my my favorite rock band. I could never go to you dispel all of your dreams. So when I work with my people, the first thing to do is I get them to dream stupid go for stupid 
and allow themselves to fall short and who have achieved 20 times further on than they could have if they'd have just gone for something that was achievable. Because let's be blunt, what do you know what's achievable? You know, you go, well, I've got a branding company. You know, I, I made a million dollars. Yeah, I want to make a million five next year. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to amplify this bollocks bullshit. Go for 10. You'll fall short and you'll hit five. So that's what I do. First thing I do is I get people to go for stupid. Absolutely, man. I, I absolutely love it. And, you know, the whole time you're talking, I'm thinking about uh, not too long ago, I did a, a Tony, Robbins, Tony Robbins seminar, the virtual version, of course, because everything's going on in the world. But um, there was something that really struck me about that and a kind of whole mindset shift about when you do reframe things from, oh, no, it's not possible or, you know, it's it's impossible. You do subconsciously tell yourself it's not possible and therefore you're never going to actually make any effort yeah. to do it, right? You're never going to start looking for the ways to make it happen. Whereas when you suddenly reframe it as possible, yes, like unlikely or, or yes, far off or difficult, but possible, then suddenly your subconscious mind just starts lighting up and things become apparent, right? Your, your, reticular, your reticular activating system just starts to notice things that will help you get towards that goal, as crazy as it seems. Yeah, you become opportunists. It's like when someone turns up at your house and they've just bought a yellow car and you come out and you go, geez, man, I've, I've never seen a yellow car before. What do you see the following day? Everywhere on the road, all you see is yellow cars. Yeah. If you can open your mind to opportunities achieve a few things that originally you didn't think were achievable, your mind suddenly opens up and demands opportunities. It suddenly recognizes where they are and your subconscious actually starts working for you rather than against you. Because if you tell yourself you can't do it, you're right. So Steve, there's something which is obviously a theme in your life. You can tell, speaking to you, all the things that you've done and even that story that you told before about how you just kind of on a whim went to Hong Kong and kind of hoped that it would figure out and it, and it kind of did. But there's obviously there's a theme that runs thick throughout that of your kind of adventurous nature and your kind of um, outgoing personality and, and willingness to, to, to take risk. Which elements of your personality do you think have really served you the most and, and how could people start to adopt those kind of elements for themselves to, to bring similar success? So I live up here in the hills and I ride around on motorcycles and I don't talk to a lot of people. I don't actually have an outgoing personality. Even though I coach and speak and consult, I wouldn't say that I was an extrovert, okay? I'm an introvert with purpose. So if I need to do something like this podcast, I'm going to be full on. But for the rest of the day, I'm just going to be quietly working on my own stuff. I'm also not an adventure seeker, Okay which a lot of people, you know, I race motorcycles. I used to fight semi-pro uh, 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 MMA, uh, not MMA, uh, Muay Thai and kickboxing. I did all of those things to challenge me because I noticed that people, and it's the last thing that you mentioned, people use fear to stop them. I use fear to fuel me. You see, what scares me is not taking a chance. What scares me is being the same guy in that bar on a broken up motorcycle with only enough money for two beers around a load of other broke ass bikers. That terrifies me. So whereas people go, oh, you know, I, I, I can't take that chance. You know, it's too risky. I look at where I'm standing and going, shit, I don't want to be here in one month. Now I live very well. Uh, I, I've got a very good life. I'm very happy. I'm very stable. But my God, can you imagine how dull it would be for me to be the exact same person that I am today 
six months time, no growth, no experience, no trying things. So for me, I always try to expand. A good friend of mine, a guy called Joe Polish, said to me that the definition of hell is to, have, is to meet the man you could have been. And that's, that sums up my life. I take chances, and like a lot of entrepreneurs, we work off of aggravation, okay? I guarantee you, you started your, your entrepreneurial journey because you were pissed off. Elon Musk started PayPal because he was pissed off the way banks made it so high, uh, hard to wire money between each other, okay? He was pissed off. He started SpaceX because he was pissed off at how slow space exploration was. He started batteries and electronics and autonomous vehicles because he was pissed off at how slow the major companies were in reforming to, to, to say. Most people start things because they're aggravated at how something else is done. I started a consulting business because I was pissed off the way other people was doing it. I started a travel industry because I was pissed off the way other people was doing it. So I believe that it's my aggravation. And like all entrepreneurs, aggravated oysters make pearls. And it was me that went, I don't like this. I'm going to go and try and find another way. And I have failed more times than I could tell you stories on. But it doesn't matter how many times you fail. Because if you succeed, all of the prior failures were just the education. It was just the training. So... I, I believe that I'm fueled with fear. If something bothers me, then I want to go and do it. If I'm sitting still, I look for something to challenge myself. So what, what are you pissed off about now? What, what's driving you right now in your life? I'm very pissed off with the furu mentality out there. Okay. A lot of the, the, the furus, fake gurus, you know, they're all leaning up against cars they don't own. They're all taking pictures on, uh, on, on jets. Do you know, I, I live in Los Angeles. In Burbank, you can rent a private jet that doesn't take off the runway just for your freaking video shoots and your fake photographs. And you get these people. What Now, I've seen the damn jet. And they walk up there and they're taking on the pictures. And then the following week, it's like, yeah, I'm just heading off to Cabo with my boys. You know, this is what my course did to me. Made me a million dollars before I did my first fart in the morning. And it's all that shit. And it aggravates me. So I've started uh, doing Sims Distillery. And I'll, I'll give you something. I have it's no charge, no fee, no funnels. I have a, a, a Facebook group called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. It's free of charge. And I want to challenge people to get uncomfortable. See, I'm 55 years old now. You know, financially, very easily could stop doing any work. But I'm too aggravated with the way people communicate, the way people work with each other, the way people go to the wrong kind of events. I want to do stuff that shapes people to interact and become people that, quite simply, I want to hang around with. You see, I said to you right at the beginning, I needed to change the room that I was in in order to be successful. I'm now creating the rooms I want to live in, the right kind of creative disruptors. The aggravated shits out there that go, no, it doesn't have to be this way. I'm going to design how it should be. So I'm creating the rooms that I want to live in. Hello, man. So what, what does that look like when people come to Steve's distillery? What can I expect? 
So I have two ways. I have an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims, which is a free, free Facebook group. We have lots of experts. You pose questions. We answer it. I list up there the software I'm using, the, the, the things I tried that failed. You know, I, I, it's an open book. And then I have a, another element called Sims Distillery, which is where I post all of my courses, all of my videos. But more importantly, twice a month, we have live expert AMAs where we have people come in to answer your questions. So in Sims Distillery, I am a lot more vocal with you answering your problems. So for argument's sake, we had a, a guy that said, hey, I, I have trouble reading books and remembering things. So I brought Jim Quick in to talk about how to retain information. I had people on about scaling business. I had Jay Abraham come in. I had people that wanted to learn about how to do better videos for Facebook and for advertising. I had Jeffrey Madoff that does all the videos for Victoria's Secrets and, uh, um, um, God, I forgot the bloody guy's name now, uh, famous designer. Um, you know, I, I had these guys come in, Ralph Lauren. So what I do is I bring in not just people that are qualified, I bring in industry experts to answer your problem. And we do that a minimum of twice a month. And if you've got a problem, you can go, hey, I'm having trouble with doing an online course. I'll bring in the experts in to help you. So in Sims Distillery, we actually directly answer your problems. And of course, if it's bigger, hey, you can take me on one-on-one, -on -one, but don't do it if you're uh, not ready to get uncomfortable and get shaken up a bit. That's awesome. We'll, we'll make sure the, the links to that are on the website and, and all around the podcast for anybody listening. And of course, you've got the book as well, Blue Fishing, right? Yeah, Blue Fishing, the art of making things happen. That's probably the best thing to do. Um, you know, I've got it on audio as well. So if you... Uh, yeah, you guys are British. I get people phone up going, I couldn't understand all of your accent. Um, and I try to, you know, explain to them that this is what English actually sounds like. But um, uh, yeah, there's an audio version of it as well. So it goes through who I've worked with, how I have did it, did it, and some very basic, simple shit that you can repeat and, and use. That's awesome. So Steve, some, some point words for anybody. Obviously, we're going through a crazy time in the world, uh, saying more uh, about lots of, uh, potential loss but also lots of potential opportunity if you were in the shoes of somebody looking to make a big change and big impact in their life and really make waves what would you be doing right now what would you be focusing on um i'd get in the right rooms um and i would challenge myself um i actually um i would argue your statement i think we're in a brilliant time okay because half of the world has decided to go and binge watch netflix the other half of the world has decided to challenge themselves you see anyone that's listening to this podcast now doesn't like the, their life. They don't like their income. They don't like the way that future looks. They demand more. They're looking for more. They're eager. They want those opportunities. They're hungry to change. So with half of the universe binge watching Netflix, you have the chance to dominate. You have the chance to refine. You have the chance to plan. Because we know that the vaccines are coming. We know that within the next you know, six months to 12 months, this is going to be a, a bad story to tell each other when you're in the pub. But the bottom line of it is now you have the chance to go, OK, I need to focus on what I'm going to do. I need to redefine myself. I need to look at my branding, my messaging, my, my products. And by getting in the right rooms and getting in the right mindset, you will be able to receive those opportunities. Because what's going to happen is like waking up your neighbor when he's been sleeping. He's going to be sluggish to get back in the action. Yeah, when the green light goes and the world opens up, you're already in third gear. Okay, so there was a friend of mine that once said to me, it's an idiot that sharpens his tools on the battlefield. So sharpen your tools now 
let's get ready to fight. That's awesome advice. Steve Simmons, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. All the best, man. Look after yourself. Thanks, brother. This has been the Viral by Design podcast with Dave Rothero. For more viral marketing secrets and to get detailed cliff notes on all episodes, visit viralbydesign.net.